Welcome back to the Monola Diaries. This is your host, Amy, and this is episode 11. This week, my good friend Nick Capicotto joins me, and yes, ladies, he is single and ready to mingle. Nick is a Korean-American adoptee and grew up in Buffalo, New York. He shares his insight on his journey and also shares how he maintains his luscious locks. I am so thankful to have met Nick. He is truly one of my closest CAD friends, and I am so excited to share his story with you, so stay tuned. But first, let's dive in to story time. This week is all about knowing and owning your worth. So when I was younger, and even in my 20s, I never considered that I was worthy of anything, to be honest. This was often reflected back at me in my romantic relationships, my friendships, and even in the jobs and opportunities I decided to take. So this in turn filled my cup, but only temporarily. And in all honesty, I was miserable, unhappy, and absolutely stuck. I based my value off of others' perception and acceptance of me. How was I to get unstuck? So this past week, I received an offer letter from a job I had more than built up in my head. Going off of emotions and feelings, signs that the universe was leading me on an all-too-coincidental path, I thought it must be fate. I was so disappointed in the offer, to say the least. And at first, I felt a bit rejected. It definitely triggered me into a state of questioning my own worth. I grappled with the idea of taking the job, but only briefly. And I remember telling myself, you are worth more, Amy. Don't settle for less. I tried to monetarily negotiate my worth, but I felt in the end that I wasn't seen or valued. If I took the job, I would be ultimately falling back into old patterns, only taking it because, well, to be honest, someone anyone wants me. And you know what? This is no way to live life. I came to realize in the end, I wasn't being rejected at all. I was being completely undervalued. And these are two completely separate things. So this sent me down memory memory lane. And I started thinking about all the past relationships and job offers I took, clearly devalued and treated as if I was replaceable. This is honestly how I operated for almost three decades of my life. I was desperate to be wanted, desperate to be chosen. I grew excited and I fell in lust with the idea that I was worthy based upon other people's determined value of me. But I never thought to ask myself, do you value you, Amy? It wasn't until recent years that I started taking back my prowess and standing up for myself. I never immediately take the first offer that is given to me, and I fight for what I know I'm worthy of. And this is how I operate in all aspects of my life. If I feel I am not being seen or valued, it is in my right and in my power to say, hell no. As an adoptee, it's so difficult when we don't feel valued from the very beginning of our life. Our first breath almost seems in vain, and it feels like our own mother and father don't see the value in our existence, and we're often labeled as unwanted. 
I know without a doubt that this is why I tried to grab on so hard to what others thought of me. I treated it like gold. They want me. Finally, somebody wants me. You know, it didn't matter who it was or how vile or toxic the situation. I just needed to be chosen. I struggled with coming to terms with this for many years. But you know what? You don't have to settle for that first offer, that toxic relationship, and even that selfish one-sided friendship that doesn't serve you. Take back your power and never settle for less than what you deserve. Because you, my friend, you deserve the world. All right. It is that time. Sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode with my good friend, Nick Capicotto. Welcome back to the Monolith Diaries. Today, we are joined by our special guest, Nick Capicotto. I don't know why, but it kind of reminds me of like half a cat, half an avocado, <laughs> your, your last name. It could um, be. Yeah. Uh, so Nick and I have been chatting over the last few weeks. And as I've been getting to know you better, I found out a few things that I would like to share. Um, number one, I feel like most of our chats end up with me laughing hysterically. Um, I think you're incredibly funny and um, you can really deliver quite a good dad joke, which I feel is rare. So I feel like maybe if your engineering career doesn't work out, then maybe you can become like a stand-up dad comedian. Would that be uh, something that you'd be interested in? <laughs> sure. I, do I have to have kids <laughs> first in order to do that? No. Okay. I don't think so. I don't think so. Um, number two, you have coined the term whiteout, which I heard you explain in the Jan Chi podcast show, um, which I would love to discuss a little bit later on in the podcast. And then number three, um, damn, I actually don't have a number three. No, I do have a number three. I <laughs> apparently you only style your hair for the monolith diaries, but I, I just, I think it looks amazing. I just want to, I just want to say thank that. You. And I, I'm also super excited to have you on the show and chat with you today. So thank you so much for being here and gracing us with your hair. Thank you. It's a yeah. pleasure to be here. Thank you for the invitation. So how are you? And most important question of the day, how long did it take you to style your hair and where did you get the inspiration from? In all honesty, it took me, I probably spent 15 minutes on it. Just, I don't normally put anything in it, but this was a special occasion. So, mm -hmm. and, and I, I had kind of committed to it already, <laughs> yeah. but it, I don't think I, I like focused on Asian men, like celebrities in particular in the beginning, when I was young, I never used to do anything with it. And I really, I never treated it as an asset when I was younger. And then maybe when I hit my later twenties, I started growing it out a little bit longer. There's been a couple of times where I've gone like a whole year without cutting mm -hmm. it. And I've really started appreciating that like, we as Asians have awesome hair. Like it is some kick-ass hair. Yeah, you have some great hair. It's very like Thank you. thick and has volume and yeah, it's awesome. That's that's just the time I spent we could, on it. It's, oh, okay. It's we could do a whole podcast on your hair. Absolutely. I'm good. I'm good for that. <laughs> awesome. Um, so let's get warmed up. Let's get into it. I like to start each episode by asking my guests to share your favorite thing about being adopted. And if you could just share your favorite thing about being adopted 
as an adult because it's much different as an adult versus a child, obviously. Right. And actually this worked out great because what it was that I ended up coming to on this question is purely from my adulthood, which is there's such a great community with the Korean adoptees and the people who are part of it and the support you get and just the feeling of community you have with every other member. And it, it doesn't even have to be a super close, super long-term connection or relationship with anybody. I think just even being in the presence of other adoptees, other Korean adoptees, you just feel this unspoken bond with so many of them that I think we grow up not having because either we're not around Asian people or even if we are, we fight what that identity is for so long. And I know I did for a really long time. And now that I'm coming out of it, it's such a rewarding feeling to not only be in touch with this side of me, but let other people who have similar backgrounds come into that space and to be around them and to talk with them about similar experiences. It's just such a comforting feeling and a sense of almost being free within myself. Yeah, no, I mean, I totally agree with that 100% hands down. Like that is what I love most as well about being an adult transracial adoptee is this community. And I feel like our stories are a bit similar in terms of us coming out of the fog, because I know that you had spoken about in your, in your thirties, cause you're in your mid mid thirties now, like I me. am. And so we look, we look forever young though. So that's forever young. Yes. <laughs> Great song. That's a good thing. Yo, was that a song? Yeah. A couple, a couple, there's a couple, uh, with that title. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll shoot you the details later. <laughs> okay. Um, but yeah, I think that, I mean, so recently for you in terms of connecting with the adoptee community when did you, when did that start for you would you say in your early 30s um did you have any friends korean friends growing up what was that like yeah i definitely started truly connecting on a voluntary conscious level in my early 30s back maybe about a couple of years ago and out here in michigan we have like a really extensive big fairly tight-knit group of cats and it's it's awesome there's a couple I mean with during COVID it's been tough to, to keep up yeah. with people and meet up unfortunately but there's a couple of us who really maybe once a month or once every other month sometimes more often than that even through COVID like we found opportunities to hang out with each other and you know continue our our you know group relationship which is awesome because we don't always talk actually we rarely talk about adoptee stuff or korean stuff we do but it's great because you're we're around each other and we know we have similar backgrounds and it's just a sense of you know belonging in a group where you don't feel like the odd man out now going back to when i was younger there was a couple around other korean adoptees and we all knew that about each other but it was never a topic of discussion. It was probably the last topic. Like if we could write down everything we'd want to talk about with each other, it would be like the thousandth item on the list. Yeah. The very last. No, it's interesting because, um, for me, when I was in middle school and high school, there was only, there was one other Asian in my entire school other than me. And he was also a Korean adoptee, but I treated him like the plague. Like I wanted absolutely nothing to do with him you know looking back now 
I wish I had connected with him, but I just wasn't, wasn't in, in that space. So that's, that's interesting. Um, did you have any expectations, um, going into kind of approaching the, the CAD community or the adoption community in terms of like how they would perceive you or how you would perceive them? Um, do you want to talk about that a little bit more? Absolutely. It, it was, to be honest, it was kind of low expectations in the sense mm-hmm. of I had really not ever felt a bound with any other adoptees or Korean people or Asian people uh, in, like due to that in the past. So I, I kind of went in with not, I would say low expectations. I wouldn't say no expectations. It was sort of like, I expect this to kind of just be a little bit lackluster and maybe we'll hang out a couple of times, but it will end up drifting away. But it, it wasn't that at all. And it didn't take long to figure that out. I remember the first time I hung out with the one CAD friend I have here and we hang out all the time. Um, we might actually hang out later today. And we went to a, a hockey game and we talked a little bit about adoptee stuff or identity stuff you know, being Asian American, but not much at all. But for a reason I couldn't describe at that point, I felt really connected to him at the end of the night. I felt we had really bonded, but it was really just like hanging out with another buddy for the most part. But there was like something extra. I went home at like, this is, there's something a little bit unique and different about this that I haven't experienced before. Yeah, that's super cool. So you said you might be hanging out with him later today. Pretty good I might, yeah, yeah, we'll see. Nice, that's we'll awesome. See. I hope so. Yeah. Um. So, I do want to kind of get into your origin story. Can you tell me about? Um. Do you know any information about your biological parents? What's your origin story? Take me through your arrival day. Yeah, I was born in in eighty five, beginning of eighty five, in like around Busan. My records only give like a province or a region. So I just, I think for ease of clarity, I say Busan mm-hmm. because it's the biggest city in the mm-hmm. area I was likely born. And then I was put up for adoption almost immediately and then adopted at four months old to family in Western New York, the Buffalo area. Grew up there with uh, white Caucasian parents. And then I have three biological siblings, not, not biological to me, biological mm-hmm. from my adoptive parents there. Uh, and then in terms of my biological family, one of the things that I've learned since you know coming out of the fog in the last few years is more information about that family, which we've never been able to be in contact or reunite or anything. Maybe it'll happen. I hope it does, but I'm not going to hold my breath on it. But we found out that my my mother was probably married to my, my biological father who passed away a couple months before I was born. So that was, you know, we never, never had a chance yeah. to meet or see each other. He was a commercial fisherman from what the records say and, and died in, a, in his you know, line of work. And then I guess maybe the most impactful thing that we found out was I have two older siblings from those biological parents who are, you know, theoretically they're, they're alive barring Mm -hmm. something strange. So it's really surreal and interesting to think that there are these people 
potentially out there and you know what do they think about me do the, do the kids even well they have to know I existed at some point when their mother was pregnant with me for yeah. nine months but you know what do they think about me now do they even think about me now and it's one of those challenges of not like you get some answers but then it just presents more, some more questions, questions. Mm-hmm. yeah when did you find out this information I mean this is recent yeah, that was 2017. I did oh, wow. a birth family search through my adoption agency a few years ago. And about the middle of 2017, we were able to find out this additional information. That's incredible. Do you have any contact with your birth mom at this point? No, I've never unfortunately had any contact with any biological relatives. It was, I was put in the adoption, I guess, I don't want to say inventory. That's yeah, like yeah. so demeaning to us. <laughs> right. But right. Well, I was added true, to the, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was added to the system three days after I was born and mm-hmm. they sent me from Busan or whatever down there in the Southeast part of the country to Seoul for to going to foster care until I was adopted a few months later. So yeah, I really only had any contact with any potential biological relatives for a, maybe a day. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Um, do you have any interest in meeting your biological siblings? And I would love to, yeah. that would be, I guess with all of this adoption, identity, discovery journey, whatever you want to call it. When I really step back and think that would probably be the ultimate dream come true from this particular part of me would be to hopefully reunite and meet you know any of them if it's one great if it's two Mm -hmm. great if it includes you know other biological relatives great Um, but any amount would be really just a real blessing have you been back to korea at all i have not i was kind of tentatively planning to do it this year i don't think it's going to happen for obvious reasons Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. we'll kind of back burner that to 2022, but it's something I've been thinking about for a couple of years. And I think I'm finally at a point now where I'm emotionally ready to make that first trip back. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But someone said to me in a different discussion board a couple of weeks ago that one of the really important things when, if and when you do make that first trip back is to really think about what it is I want to get from that. What do I want to accomplish? What kind of objectives do I I have for it? And I never really thought about that. I still need to think about it a lot. To me, it was just, oh, I I want to go back or I need to go back. Yeah. Uh, But I never really thought about it. Yeah. yeah. I never really thought about why. So I really need to to sit down and think about that now that I'm, I know I'm emotionally ready to be able to do it. Definitely. Yeah. Um, Gosh, we should get a whole like CAD group together and just and just go together, you know? So like, that's one of the things I've thought about is, is, you know, who do I want to go with mm-hmm, me? Do I want to make mm-hmm. it a solo trip? Do I want yeah, to go with other definitely. cads? Yeah. You know, maybe somebody who's been there before. Yeah. Something to figure out. Yeah, definitely. It is. Can we go back a little bit and talk about your experience growing up in Buffalo, New York and what that was like for you? What was your, what was your school, school life like? And I know that you had mentioned on the Jan Chi podcast that in seventh grade, it was your first time, I, I believe, going to public school. And I'm just wondering about your experience um, dealing with, with that. 
Sure. For the most part, my upbringing up through high school was in Caucasian middle-class suburbia, which seems to be a pretty recurring theme with a lot of other CADs. So with that being said, the majority of my neighbors, the neighborhood kids, my classmates at school were of the same, the same demographic uh, or the same you know, socioeconomic category, except that they were just Caucasian. There were, uh, like in, in grade school, there was, if I remember correctly, there was one Filipino guy who was in my grade and then there was maybe I mean school-wide this is up through eighth grade a handful of maybe black students I went to a catholic school pretty much up through high school except for again that that little Mm -hmm. period of time middle school so mostly white students throughout but to get back to that little point when I was in public school I think catholic school or parochial school kind of guards you and shelters you in a very controlled environment from a lot of like bullying and the discrimination that I know other you know people of color regardless of your your backstory have experienced so for whatever reason it it didn't seem like it was around that much and a little bit here and there but nothing that I felt was unmanageable but then that little bit in public school which is sort of like off the beaten path Mm -hmm. in in like more rural New York was a really eye-opening experience. And for, I'm sure a lot of the students there, I was the first Asian person they had ever seen oh, in wow. person. Yeah. And some of them were really fascinated, like almost mm-hmm. intrigued. And I remember one day in gym class or something, I, I don't know, I, I sprained like a joint or I sprained like a hip or sprained an ankle or something. And one of my classmates you know it wasn't really in a in a mean way but it was more just kind of ignorance and confusion he asked me hey is that common for people like you and like I was so taken aback and confused yeah but I never thought back then that like okay hey these people have never seen anybody that looks like us Um, but then there were other students who were really you know, pretty cruel because mm, really? they, yeah. you know, saw me as the, not only the new kid, but the new kid who doesn't look like anybody else. So that's Easy like, target. Yeah. oh yeah. It's like dangling the cow above the raptor cage in Jurassic yeah. Park. Yeah. I mean, they just watched me getting lowered Ooh. down on that thing. One of my favorite movies, by the way. So great. It is there. awesome. <laughs> um, so was that kind of the extent of your exposure or your first kind of exposure to racism um or did you have any other instances where you were kind of discriminated against or faced that that racism the only ones prior to that that I can remember was people asking me the the kind of typical transracial adoptee questions like where are you from who are your real parents yeah I don't I mean that is I guess, an extension of mm-hmm. racial discrimination, yeah. but I think it's, it's less about what you are like in relation to the entirety of society or, or to that person and more about what I am in relation to my, my own family. So mm-hmm. I, yes, it's still, 
classified as racial discrimination, but I, I really, I didn't know how to process it back then. It was a question that like it had an obvious answer to me, but I didn't realize that it didn't have an obvious answer to the people asking. Yeah, definitely. How did you deal with the, the bullying that you faced when you went to public school and did your parents know about it? Did they help you through it at all? Yeah, at the time I was living, my parents divorced when my siblings and I were very young. So at that time they had long been separated mm-hmm. and I was actually living exclusively with my father. Okay. Mm-hmm. But I, I would, there would be certain times when like something would have happened at school and later that day at home, my father knew like something something had happened or something was up and I would try to not give much detail about what happened. But I, looking back now, I think he sensed at times, like there was probably something related to that going on, but I didn't give enough detail really to make it blatantly obvious to him. But that was kind of my whole MO with a lot of things when I was younger was to keep them tucked away, keep them hidden. And for me to kind of survive going there, I I was always an, a bit of an angry kid yeah, growing up mm-hmm. and I couldn't really always figure out why, but I definitely was more often than I, than I want to remember, but I kind of channeled that into being really defensive in the sense that like I would get like aggressive back with some of these other students and yeah. I never ended up getting into a physical fight. How I didn't, like, it's surprising because, like, I would, I would almost try to, like, out bully them back at times, which, that was, like, the time when I was, like, stopping growing, but everybody else, like, was continuing to grow. So Mm -hmm. it was, like, starting to get to the point where I was one of the smallest people in the room, which I still am, like, today. But I think I just kind of, became almost not mean to people as an aggressor but if as a defense mechanism like I would just get mean and developed a mouth and developed an attitude in order to try to overshadow what they were doing to me yep I can totally relate to that that was that was me as well never got into any physical fights but definitely was a very very angry adolescent and would get bullied a lot and would, would try and push back, you know? So I can totally, totally relate to that. Can you, um, can you tell me a little bit more about your relationship with your, with your parents growing up and how that was like? It was, it was a challenge. One was just me being like any other or almost any other cad and obviously looking different than than our parents, that made it tough. And I think a lot of my behavioral patterns, be it the just being angry, but not knowing why I was angry and being resistant to certain authority, like within the house, like I was never a bad kid outside the Mm -hmm. house. I was never getting in trouble at school. I was a good student for the the most part. But at home, things, simple things like it's time to go to bed. You have to get back to your homework, time to brush your teeth, do the chores. I would just get 
into these hissy fits yeah. a lot. And my mother was, was the primary person who would trigger that. Not to say that was intentional necessarily, but right. coming from my mother, that would often trigger it. And, and with both my parents, but that went on for a really huge chunk of my, my adolescence. And then with them having kind of a challenging divorce as well. Yeah. And this is not unique to me. This impacted my, my other siblings too, but having that additional kind of upheaval in the house, you know, probably added to my behavioral things. And it's been interesting. I, I kind of like done a little bit of reading on what kind of different behavioral patterns that transracial adoptees have or had. And a lot mm-hmm. of these things that I used to do back then, very, very common. So it really has me curious now, was that actually a correlation or was I just a pissy kid when I was younger? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I can totally relate to that as well. I almost wonder because the things that you're saying, I, I've always wondered, do other adoptees have a hard time with, with change? You know, like when you, when you're, when you're telling me that your parents would have you do something else or whatever, when I was younger, even a small thing, like putting on my jacket, which I know for a four-year-old, any four-year-old's not going to like it. But for me, like I didn't, I couldn't stand any type of change. Like I would have a temper tantrum. I would freak out and it just, it wasn't, it wasn't fun for me. So I'm just wondering, do you feel like you had a hard time accepting change? Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I, I still do now to some extent, mm-hmm. but as a kid, oh my, I mean, and change could have been anything, like even something yeah. as small as you said, small as little thing. Yeah. Being a, a young adolescent and being told to put a jacket on, it was little things like that that triggered me all mm-hmm. the time. It wasn't anything. It wasn't it's almost like the bigger things didn't do it as much it was small stuff Uh, it was like frustration with homework or it could be any any small little ridiculous thing that as an adult now it's like oh okay whatever but man that would set me off into Mm -hmm. just this mode of I'm I'm sure if if you were a fly on the wall you'd be thinking to yourself oh this is a perfect candidate to get committed and put in a padded room yeah no that's how I felt too I mean I was like, is there literally something wrong with me? Like, why am I just angry 24 seven? I can't handle any little bit, little bit of change at all. Like it's, yeah, it was ridiculous. Um, I was going to ask, um, actually, if we can just kind of pivot maybe a little bit and, um, wanting to know actually kind of correlates to that as well, but how did you get past those really, really strong emotions of anger? Um, how did you really end up kind of initiating that coming out of the fog. And, um, I know that you had spoken about, um, watching the show, this is us, which I haven't, I've never seen. And that really resonated with you. So I'm just wondering, um, how you were able to kind of overcome or get past those really, really strong emotions of anger. I think a lot of getting over it and I'm still working on it now. I'm not it's not a finished product mm-hmm. and, and maybe it never will be. I hope so, but it's definitely not yet. But a lot of it has been, as I've been getting older with either things with my identity or my, even just like being able to appreciate what I look like when I, when I see myself in a mirror or on a screen like this, 
being more accepting and I'm working my way toward being proud of it. I'm not quite there yet, but I'm, I'm getting closer has really allowed what kind of used to be just like putting, putting like, you know, the, the old, the old saying, like putting 10 pounds of shit in a five pound bag. Mm-hmm. I found now that I'm, I'm starting to take some of that out and not have it all packed into this unreasonably small space. It's helping me to better, you know, understand what's around me and not feel or have the impulse to react the way I used to, which was just anger and outbursts. And it's been interesting kind of seeing as I'm coming out of the fog and, you know, breaking through that sort of self barrier that it is allowing me to have better connections and relationships with people and better handle situations that would normally set me off now the show is is i i recommend it a little bit it's getting to a point now where the plot line is just kind of it's getting away from i feel the the core intention i i I keep watching it because like i started it but that how many seasons are there they're on season five right now i think they're signed for at least one more but watching the the pilot or the Mm -hmm. the trailer and then the pilot was again just that little extra bit of emotional urge or or encouragement to Mm -hmm. to really get me to you know come out of that that fog and it was I think for me in particular it, it because it centers on a family that has a transracial adoptee with other Caucasian siblings mm-hmm. who are biological to yeah. the parents. It really was like, extra, yeah, it was mm-hmm. extra close for me. Yeah. And to see how not only he's for anybody listening, he's, he's not Asian, he's, he's black, but to see how not only he reacts to uh, his parents, his white parents and his greater environment outside the house, which is, is mostly white was obviously something we all can find a connection but the kind of interesting thing for me was how does his white brother and sister play into the whole thing and that's been a really interesting dynamic mm-hmm. to unfold on the show and I've, I try to see like okay how does that kind of compare yeah. to my relationships with my own siblings do you see any connections there yeah there there's quite a few and mm-hmm. some of it is just regular brother sister kind of things but some of it is very unique to being of a different ethnicity than your siblings and for me again i i've my my larger adoptee story actually just recently became knowledge to my family and seeing how they've reacted and responded to learning that was something that I watched unfold on the show and now that I'm kind of going through that myself I'm looking back in retrospect on the portions of the the show that focused on the character coming out of his own fog and Mm -hmm. and seeing how that compares to my own yeah definitely oh man now I I need to binge watch the show now because (laughs) yeah (laughs) either in all seriousness either do that or watch mm-hmm. just the pilot episode. Just the pilot. Okay. 
it honestly it could be a, it could be a standalone short movie by really? itself so okay. if you really don't want to commit which I'm yeah. cool with, like don't if you, <laughs> five seasons that's a lot yeah just watch the first the, the pilot episode and just okay oh <laughs> we're good we're good nothing fell off the desk so aggressive yeah exactly you're yeah punching see, your, I told your you. mic yeah I told you, i'm not over it yet i know i know oh my gosh um well thank you so much for being so open and transparent and sharing your story um i did want to before we wrap up here i did want to touch a little bit on whiting out and also your instagram handle which is white a minute yes um, it is can, can you explain this term to yeah. the listeners yeah whiting out is my it's not trademark so if anybody wants to copyright it <laughs> i guess I, i've been too slow but it's my my term and then my my ig handle is definitely an intentional play on words of that concept of what i had as my sort of objective throughout various points of my life of either trying to assimilate to my white environment as best I could, but then the other, it's sort of two-sided. There's that side. And then the other side is feeling that I need to do or needed to do extra in order to certainly be at par with or mm -hmm. what I thought was being at par with that, that environment but certainly if I wanted to get ahead like I had to do more so at times like I wanted to be exactly what it was but then yeah. at times I would do things I guess extra that I thought okay like this will this will get me to stand out because yeah. I, even though we we stick out like sore thumbs because we look different at times it's almost the opposite because like we're we're the last kid picked uh, you know for the kickball draft and the, on the playground so because of that we feel at the same time left out um like we need to compensate which, for something like. yeah exactly yes 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 yeah. so whiting out is really kind of an amalgamation of those two concepts and how you know my way of life has been so dominated at times of trying to get through those two hurdles or over those two hurdles yeah, no, I think that's that's so interesting. So thank you so much for sharing that. Absolutely. Um, before I let you go, I'd love to know if there's anything exciting coming up in your personal life. And also as we close out the episode, just want to know if you have any last thoughts regarding being a transracial adoptee. Yeah, I, the interesting thing that's really kind of come up in the last year or so is... I've been really thinking about what my greater purpose in life is in regards to what leaves me fulfilled. And some of that is personal life wise with being or continuing to be involved with the Korean adoptee community and how I can be more involved. But I've, it started to creep even into my professional life and way of thinking and it's kind of having me reevaluate whether what I've chosen to do career-wise is necessarily the best fit. And I'm not, I'm not at a point where I want to or need to make any brash decisions about it, but it really mm -hmm. has me kind of recalibrating what the right fit is. Mm -hmm. And then in terms of involvement with the CAD community, I mean, I, yeah. it, I've been loving it. It's been such an added piece to my life that I wish I had 
incorporated sooner, but there's so many great connections that just happen. Some of them just happen so fast. Like it doesn't take years. It can take definitely yep. even like us, you know, mm-hmm, we mm-hmm. known each other's presence for like a few weeks. I know. So yeah, those kind of connections, I just yeah. want to keep, keep those going for strong, sure. keep making more and, you know, spreading that network out as best I can. Awesome. Thank you so much, Nick. Um, so my guests can find you on Instagram. Your handle again is white a minute. And yes. Yeah. Well, there's, awesome. well, there's dots. There's, oh, there's a dot okay. between the, yeah. Between the white words. And, okay. Got it. Perfect. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. And, um, I really appreciate you and I loved hearing your story. So we will see you next week with a brand new episode and bye guys. 